show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, on land or sea or foam, you can always hear me sing this song. Show me the way to go home. Hello. Willkommen in der virtuellen Neipe für ein paar Getränke, Trivia und Sozialgesichter und Verkostungsnotizen. Ich bin Tim und mein Saufkumpel Eleri gesellt sich dazu. Was servieren wir heute? All I got was Titsen. <lacht> <lacht> Yeah. That's probably what all the German listeners got as well, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it was the usual. Hi, what are we serving today? Um, confusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, I, I've been in Germany. I've been gallivanting um, around Europe for a bit. And um, I thought I would just tell you a little bit about the experience I had in Cologne. Because I was there for a couple of days. Please do. Recently, um, if you're up for it. Mm-hmm. Are you drinking anything, by the way? Is it going to be incidentally relevant? <laughs> well, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I've just got beer. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, close enough. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've got a Kolsch. Mm. Um, which is the beer of Cologne. Um, although, mine isn't actually from Cologne. <laughs> it's um it's it's uh brewed by Free Assembly in at Fierce in um, Aberdeen mm. in Scotland. So it but it is a it is a Kolsch. It can be licensed out, sort of. I mean we'll find out. I thought I'd just tell you a bit about it. So I did have some Kolsch while I was there. So um where should we start? Bit of history. Bottle fermented beer started to appear in the Cologne region in the early 17th century and its popularity was threatening the business interests of the brewers of Cologne because they were producing top fermented beers. You know, it's as a shortcut if you're not familiar, top fermented beers, generally your ales and stuff, bottom fermented, generally your lagers. So in response, the town council of Cologne in 1603 forced young brewers to swear an oath that you prepare your beer as of old from good malt, good cereals and good hops, well boiled, and that you pitch it with top yeast and by no means with bottom yeast. Indeed. <laughs> and then in 1676 and again in 1698, the council again tried to legislate against bottom fermented beer by forbidding its sale within the city walls. However, by 1750, the Cologne brewers were competing against those popular bottom fermenters by using a hybridised brewing process. So first they would brew their beer using the top fermented yeast, but then what they would do is age it in cold cellars like you do with the lagers, with the bottom fermented beers. And this type of beer was first called Kolsch, um, but not until 1918. <laughs> to describe the beer that had been brewed by the Asuna Brewery um, that had actually been brewed since 1906. Um, so by the start of World War II, sorry to bring World War into this so soon, sorry Germany, uh, Cologne had more than 40 breweries. 
but only two were left by the end of the war. Obviously, Cologne was one of those places that got hit pretty hard. Uh, in 1946, many of the breweries managed to re-establish themselves. And in the 40s and 50s, Kolsch um, still wasn't really matching the sales of the bottom fermented beer. But in the 1960s, the style begin, began to rise in popularity again. And it went from half a million hectolitres, hectolitres because we're in Europe, uh, in 1960... And then Cologne's beer production peaked at 3.7 million hectolitres in 1980. That was really its peak. Um, in the 21st century, there were these price increases, there's changing drinking habits, um, caused by all sorts of things, actually. By 2005, the output had gone down to 2.4 million hectolitres, and it's sort of around there now. So it's it's gone up into the 80s, and it's in a bit of a decline again. Um, so what happened in the 80s? 1986, 24 brewers of Cologne and the vicinity agreed upon the Kolsch Convention, which set out the brewing process that had to be used and restricted the use of Kolsch to breweries in Cologne and outside of the city. I think if I remember rightly, it's 21 miles sort of um, radius around the city. In 97, then, Kolsch became a product with protected geographical indication um, which expanded to the uh, the protection of the entire EU. So there we go. That's that's kind of how Kolsch came in, how it sort of became popular, how it started to diminish again. So when I was there, when I arrived, first of all, into uh, Cologne, I went and had lunch straight away. And of course, I had to have a Kolsch with my lunch. So I had a Heller's, uh, which was the one on offer. And uh, that's one of the newer ones. It only opened in 1991, uh, but it is based in Cologne. But then I went to a more traditional one later on. So later in the afternoon, I went to uh, the Kolschkneipen, which is like a smaller, it's a smaller bar that makes its own Kolsch. I went to one called Gilden in Zims, which is like the Guild of Zims. So which was, <laughs> a, 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 it's um, off the main square. So where they have the big Christmas market and they have, essentially kind of like all the big touristy pubs that make uh their own their own culture mm-hmm. i had to go into one of those i sort of knew what i was getting myself in for but you know you've got to go and experience it as a tourist did they um, charge you crazy was... money because you were in the tourist area no because <sighs> i'm gonna put it it felt very touristy but i mean you went in and still you know everyone was speaking german so it's very likely that the tourists just came from outside of cologne mm-hmm. to come in and have that experience to try the same way that you do in london really you say oh you know leicester square's full of tourists but probably about half of them have come in from essex yeah true. that kind of vibe right you know yeah um no shade to essex <laughs> all the shade to essex <laughs> uh so <laughs> so i went to these it was it was a very i mean it was very pretty on the outside um it was you know, it was very traditional. Um, the the history of it goes back, apparently, like the basement of Roman fortifications. It was one of these places that got bombed um, in the war. And the Zims in question, the Guild of Zims, they, uh, the house got bombed, but they survived in the basement. And there was a well down there that they got their water from. And the, the father of the family supposedly made a wish into the basement that they would survive and escape and they did Hmm. and then they rebuilt it on top of that and you can still see the well down there 
Um, so I said it, it, it's traditional. So what is the tradition of serving kolsch in Cologne? Well, it's served in a tall, thin, cylindrical 200 milliliter glass called a stanger, uh, which means like pole or rod. So it's, it's named after that shape. And then there's a server called a kobis mm-hmm. who carries usually a dozen or so stanger in a kranz, a wreath or a crown. Um, which is that circular tray and then what happens is instead of like either going up to the bar or you know getting their attention to come and order something they just walk around holding these these crances so they fill it up from the barrel they walk around with them and if you finish your drink they'll just replace it with another one that's what my kind of place yeah, and then they have a coaster, you'll have a coaster, and they just mark on pen how many you've had, <laughs> and when you have had enough, you put your coaster on top of the um, of the empty stanger, and then they'll come along and they'll see how many they've marked off, and then they'll bring you your bill and they'll charge you for how many you've had. Kind of like your sushi. Kind of like your sushi, exactly. Small, smaller measures have... <laughs> have lots of them they'll just keep topping you up so it's a bit of a you know it's a different sort of experience if you're british for example and you're coming along obviously we drink in a very different way we go to the bar we get pints and we sit down yeah this is more like we're just going to give you 200 mil increments and you keep going and i don't know whether that encourages more or less drinking i couldn't tell hmm. because like do you it depends if you're british or you're not. on <laughs> or yeah because you know you'd have to have several of them before you reached a pint already i feel like it might slow you down actually it was i was trying to work out the psychology while i was in there what was going on i guess it depends depends on how quick they serve you as well i mean mm-hmm. we've done bottomless brunches where you don't get as much poured and then i've done bottomless brunch brunches where they pretty much put in bottles on your table so sure <laughs> very good point mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so a lot of that sort of tradition of what Kolsch is, and I said, you know, they laid down the conventions and the laws. A lot of that comes out of the Reinheitsgebot, um, which we've mentioned before. Uh, in German, it, it literally translates as purity order, mm-hmm. which was a series of regulations limiting the ingredients in beer in Germany. And actually, not just Germany, but the states of the former Holy Roman Empire, but Germany's the one that's really kept it. Um so the best known version of that law was adopted in Bavaria in 1516. And according to that, the only ingredients that could be used for the production of beer were water, barley and hops. So the text doesn't mention yeast as an ingredient. Although yeast was at the time knowingly used in the brewing process, it's I think they considered it more of the part of the brewing process than an ingredient. And also, usually you transfer some of one batch into another um, giving the yeast more of a permanent character in the brewing process, so it wasn't necessarily something you added into it. Um, and they, also, they didn't really have a full understanding of what the chemical basis behind it was at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's why. The purpose of it, I don't think we've necessarily mentioned. And as far as I can tell, this Bavarian order was introduced in part to prevent the price competition with bakers for wheat and rye. So the restriction of grains only to barley meant that bread could be more affordable because, you know, wheat and rye were therefore reserved for the bakers. 
Um, it might also have had a bit of a protectionist role uh, in terms of where they were, because beers from northern Germany often contained additives that couldn't be grown in Bavaria. So it may have been sort of a way to level the playing field. There's another idea behind it as well, which is about religious conservatism, because um, the there were certain plants that <laughs> the the church at the time thought were being used in pagan rituals. Mm-hmm. So the church were very uneasy about things like henbane, belladonna, wormwood, gruit, um, and also kind of problematic methods of pre- preserving beer like soot um, and stinging nettles. So it might have been something to do with that as well. Uh, but in response to the growth of craft breweries globally what a lot of commentators have now kind of said about this um about this uh reinheitsgebot is that it's probably stunted some of their growth uh so german brewers some german politicians have argued that it means that they haven't adopted the beer trends that have been popular in the rest of the world particularly looking at things like belgian lambics and american craft styles so in the, at the end of 2015, Bavarian brewers did vote in favour of a revision to the beer laws to allow other natural ingredients, but most of that seems to be for export. So you would think like this old thing wouldn't necessarily still be having an effect, but it is, as I found out when I was there and I started chatting to the locals, because I'd been for my little Kolsch experience, and I was like, it's fine, but it's not really for me. You know, it felt a bit, I don't know, sort of um, come and have a look at this fair kind of vibe. (laughs) But when I was there, I went to a lovely contemporary art gallery, and as I was on the top floor and I looked out the window, I saw a craft beer place. And I thought, oh, I I hadn't noticed that. It was all like, everything's very traditional. So I thought I'll pop in after I've seen the art, see what's what's going on in the craft scene in this area. And uh, I went in and they were like, well, first of all, this is the only craft beer pub. (laughs) 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 Like, you know, the the sort of the traditional approach to beer here has just flattened everything else. Mm -hmm. And we're the only outlet. And I happened to go on a day where they weren't using all the craft imports from Belgium and Britain and all the rest of it, but they had a little tap takeover from the Cologne Home Brewers. Cute. So this is a group of locals who are so hacked off with the German purity laws mm-hmm. um, that they decided to just brew things them- themselves at home uh, in their basements, in their sheds, wherever it is. And then once a year... They come to this craft brew, brew pub and they sell it through the pub. The one day you're there, amazing. Yep. So it happens on the first Friday of February um, every year. And I happen to just walk into it. And there, was, <laughs> there were all these people in this little bar, lovely little bar, um, wearing their T-shirts and their hoodies saying Cologne Home Brewers. <laughs> so I, I, I looked and so everything on the tap list was obviously Cologne Home Brewers and then some other variety. There were 15 different beers. And uh, I walked in, and I was like, oh, I feel like I've walked into a private event, but got myself a tasting platter and sat at the bar. <laughs> and then uh, the the first person to kind of come up to the bar wearing one of the T-shirts, I was like, can you explain this to me? What's going on? And uh, yeah, they did. So they, they told me all this story and they were like, yeah, it's just we're so annoyed with the, the lack of choice in this city. 
And one of them, in fact, had even moved into a flat uh, not too long ago and discovered that there was like a cellar beneath the flat that used to be an old brewery. No way. Jackpot. So he turned that into his brewery and he was like, yeah, there's, his, there's proper history here. And he was trying to like rediscover those old recipes that they used to do before all the Kolsch convention. I uh, would have stuff. 100% so invited digging. myself. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of digging through old recipes, you know, that they were doing and people were doing all sorts of experiments. There was a very popular one called... Um, it was a, it was a Scotch ale, so they'd used heathers to to flavour it and preserve it, like we use hops mm-hmm. in Scotland for a Scotch ale. They use heather, and by the way, that's delicious. But um, yeah, he'd he'd made one of those and he'd named it Scottish fart, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I had to ask. I was like, who's who made the Scottish fart? And this guy was like, oh, I did. And uh, I was like, are you aware that in English, <laughs> what this means? And he's like, oh, yes, yes, I'm aware. I thought it was funny. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So fart in German is foots. Mm. So it's not a million miles away. Fett means to drive. I don't know. So I don't know what alternative he would have gone for. But yeah, he just called it Scottish fart. But it was, um, everyone was loving it because of that. If you look on like untapped, there's a lot of reviews of Scottish fart. Um yeah, so it was it was just a really kind of happy coincidence. And I, I ended up having such a lovely night meeting all these local beer enthusiasts. And they were telling me about, you know, what they were going for when they created their stuff. And they were interested because, you know, I told them where I'm from on Bermondsey Beer Mile and all the people who were about to come over mm-hmm. uh, to London for a visit were like, oh, tell me where it is. Where should I go? So it was a lovely cultural um, exchange lovely. My, my time in Cologne. Stuff like that always happens to you. It's not fair. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, it does, but do you know what? I think I was having this conversation the other day. I think going away by yourself makes a difference. So I yeah. like to travel alone. And I think what it does is it forces you into the locale a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think when you're with you know, friends or people you know you tend to just talk to each other and you stick to your safe spaces and, you know, you, yeah. you do all that sort of stuff. But I think when you're on your own, you're a little bit more like, I might as well wander into this place. What's the worst that's going to happen? And it forces you to sort of talk to the locals a little bit more and interact with them. And I think that's how adventure comes. It's from putting yourself in new scenarios and just sort of going, oh, what will happen if I do this? Mm. For me, that's what makes the difference. I'm just laughing at how you said when you go traveling with friends you stick to your safe spaces and 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 what constitutes a safe space for us based on our trips (laughs) right yes i mean i didn't mean safe as in physically safe Uh, (laughs) i meant comfortable familiar experiences of like of, of talking to each other but yeah i um i for anyone who's got their own spreadsheet going together at home I absolutely recommend first Friday of February, have a little trip over to Cologne mm. and have a taste of all the things that the Cologne home brewers have come up with because it was a really sort of fun, small, like mini beer festival night. Yeah, it's really cute. Get a Scottish fart down your neck. <laughs> Get a Scottish fart down your neck. Anything to close on? That was all I wanted to tell That's you. That's what I wanted to close on. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so our glasses have run dry. Which means it's time to kin s. Uh, okay, uh, kiss ass. Drink up. Chin it. Oh, chin it. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Kines. Kines. Cheers, everybody. Mm-mm-mm. You can always hear me sing in this song. Show me the way to go home.